Well, over in Europe, there are two villages that hold something very unusual in common. One of those is Rejuken, uh, Norway, and the other is Vigilant, uh, Viganetti, Italy. Both Rejunken and Viganetti both are situated in deep, dark valleys with very high mountains uh, surrounding them. Both villages, six months out of the year, six months out of the year, live in total darkness. The way, they're so deep in the valley, the mountain peaks are so high, the sun rays cannot reach the village. Now, when I did my research, I found that the medical community uh, will tell you that the incre- they have a, a, a stark increase of physical illness during the six months of darkness. There is a lot of depression, and depression then begins to play havoc on their bodies because they're out of the light. How many of you have ever struggled on a dark, gloomy, rainy day? It plays with your emotions. And if you stay in that environment long enough, it'll actually have a physical uh, uh, conditions that it will uh, create, physical symptoms that it would create. And so the issue became so bad that in 2006, engineers in Viganati decided we've got to do something about this condition. And so the engineers literally designed gigantic computerized mirrors and placed them on top of the mountains to reflect the light of the sun down into the valley onto the village. In 2013, Rajunkin, Norway, followed suit and did the exact same thing. Let me show you the first uh, picture. This is Rajunkin, Norway, and you can see the uh, mirrors up on the mountain as it's casting down sunlight onto this village. The next picture is Vingonati, uh, Italy. And you see again, up on the mountain, the, the huge mirrors casting light. And here are the people, the whole townspeople are so excited because they've been brought out of darkness and into the light. How many know that your body needs sunlight? For you to be healthy mentally or emotionally as well as physically, your body is wired and designed by God. We need sunlight. Well, here's what I want to tell you today, that just as your physical body needs physical sunlight, your spiritual life needs spiritual light from God. And in Jesus, or the Bible actually tells us how and where to find the light to make us spiritually healthy. Psalm 119, 105 says this about the word of God, says your word, O Lord, is like a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So the Bible says that the word of God itself is like the light of God's truth and it will light up the path that you and I are living. You look at John Uh, There at the top of your message notes, I give you a passage from Jesus, John chapter 16. This is the night of his betrayal. And Jesus says to his followers, look at the verse, when the spirit of truth comes, somebody shout the spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. We've talked a lot about him the last few weeks. When the Holy Spirit comes, we know last week he came on that festival of Pentecost. Now he is inside of every one of you who are a believer. 
When you are born again, when you're saved, when you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit of God moves in. And when he comes, the spirit of truth, watch what he'll do. He guides you into all truth. He guides you into truth. And so here's what Jesus was saying. Here is what the psalmist was declaring. You put the two together. Is that God uses the Holy Spirit to take the word of God, the truth of God's holy word, and he reflects it or he illuminates it into the lives of those walking in the valleys of the shadow of darkness. Here's where you and I are in this world and we need the Holy Spirit to act like the giant mirrors and take the truth of God's holy word and reflect it or illuminate it into us. We're in a series of messages where we're talking about how to put our faith in action. Our series title is Ready, Set, Go. And if you've been with me the last few weeks, you know that we're looking back at these first Christians, these first Christians as they were living out their faith and they were running the marathon of their faith, the race of their faith, and they're seeking to glorify God with their life. They found out Something that I pray every one of you in this room and every one of you watching online has learned by now is that you were created with a purpose, that God has a purpose for you and it's to know him and to glorify him with your life. And when you live out the purposes of God, everything else just kind of comes together and it fits. But if God isn't in the center of it, nothing seems to fit. And so here's these other Christians and they've gotten Christ in the center of their life and now the Holy Spirit has come upon them and they're running their race, but there were some disciplines in their life. And this whole series over the next few weeks is we're gonna look at the disciplines they put in their life so that when they came to the starting line, they were ready, they were set, and they were just waiting for the Holy Spirit at any moment to say go, but they were already in position how many of you want to glorify God and live out the purposes for him in your life? How many have got him sitting in the right part of the seat and you off of it? Come on, somebody. Now watch how this comes together. Here today, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and we're going to see one of these disciplines, and it's going to actually explain why I used the illustration that I did and how the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and illuminates it into our lives. Here's what I want you to see. Look at Acts 2, 42. These early Christians, these early believers, they were devoted. And look at the verse. They devoted, circle that word, themselves to the apostles' teaching. Underline that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer, Acts 2.42. Now, we're going to cover all of those sometime in this series, but for today... What does it mean to be devoted to the apostles' teaching or the word of God? You may say, well, why does it say apostles' teaching here? Well, there's a reason. Peter, James, John, and all those early disciples did not have what all of us are privileged to have, whether you ever read it or not. We all have easy access to a copy of the Bible or the word of God. What is the Bible? The Bible is simply a collection of the holy writings, both old covenant and new covenant. And they finally got put into one volume, one book we call the Bible. They did not have this. All that Peter, James, John, these early disciples had was the old Testament, the old covenant. And they couldn't even carry that around 
because it wasn't in one book. It was in scrolls. And so they'd go to the synagogue to read them. And some of the scrolls were 25 feet long. Can you imagine Peter and the apostles walking around with all them scrolls underneath their arm? They couldn't carry them around. I mean, it's hard enough to get people to carry one of these around, let alone scrolls. Come on, somebody. What did they do? They went, they were so devoted to go and to learn at the synagogue or they would get with a rabbi and there was a lot of oral teaching and they would memorize the verses. In fact, if you wanted to be a disciple of a rabbi, by the age of 12, you would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament and quote it by memory. How in the world did they do that? Well, there's a key here. There's a key in this verse. It's the word I had you to circle. Say it with me, it's the word devoted. Look on the screen, let me give you the definition. The word devoted means to be zealous, to be unswerving, to be loyal to. So when we look at these early Christians, even though they didn't have a Bible, they were yet zealous for the word of God. They made opportunities for themselves, whether it was sitting with a rabbi or going to uh, the synagogue, but they were zealous. It was a priority. It was something that they were extremely interested in. They were unswerving. Once they learned a truth out of God's word, they weren't easily led astray to believe something else. They stood on it. They were unswerving. They were loyal to it. Now listen, I want, I want, to, make a, I want, I want to say something here, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. Don't hear what I didn't say. Okay, don't hear you say something I didn't say because this is no condemnation here. I just want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, as we go through this year, if we're gonna get on the starting point, on the starting line, and we're ready, we're set, we're ready to go whenever God says go, it's going to require the discipline of getting into scripture and learning the Bible, and we're gonna help you with that this year. And it's gonna be more, listen, there's gonna be more discipline in your life needed than simply reading the morning daily verse of the day. Every morning I wake up at 6.30, my phone dings, and it's two different Bible apps giving me the verse of the day. So I have two, so now I got, I'm, I'm doing double anointed time here, right? I got two Bible verses. But if all I do is read those two simple verses and go about my day like I did all my spiritual duty, I wanna tell you what's gonna happen to me, I'm gonna be spiritually malnourished. You need more than that, even more than your morning daily devotional that takes two to five minutes. Nothing wrong with those. I'm not condemning those. I want you to do those. I'm just saying, I want you to consider what it's going to take for you to really get into the scriptures and learn what the word has to say to help you live out the truths that God wants you to live out. It's going to take a little bit of discipline to the word of God. How did these disciples get this? How did they? What was this apostles teaching? Where did it come from? How, did they, how were they preaching this if the New Testament wasn't written yet? Well, let me show you why the New Testament was written. On the first Easter Sunday, it's what we would call it in our modern culture, but it was the first resurrection day, the day Jesus arose from the grave. We know he appeared to a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then he went back to the upper room where all the disciples were, and they're all scared, and no one knows what in the world's going on, and the women have said they saw him. Now two men run in the door and say, we saw him too, we saw him too, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And the Bible says in Luke 24 that while they were speaking, Jesus walked into the room. And here's the cool thing about Jesus, he didn't use the door. Now how many believe if Jesus shows up and he doesn't come through the door, you're gonna listen to what he's gotta say? 
Here's what Jesus said. Look at the screen. Luke 24, Jesus said to them, these are the, my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything, shout everything, written about me where? In the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. Stop for a moment. Everybody capture words he's talking about here. Law of Moses, prophets, and Psalms. Put those three together. What do you have? Old Testament. Jesus says, remember everything I told you that's in the Old Testament must be what? Not abolished, fulfilled. <clears throat> then he, here's the key, here's the key, here's the key, ready to go. Opened their minds. Somebody shout illumination. He illuminated their minds. The light bulb went off. All of a sudden they had an aha moment. He opened their minds to understand. And what did Jesus call the Old Testament? The scriptures. He opened their minds to the scriptures and then he said to them, watch this, watch this, this is so amazing. This is what was written, where? In the Old Testament, what was written there? That the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Are you kidding me? That's the gospel. Are you telling me the gospel's in the Old Testament? Yes. And Jesus showed them where the gospel was in the Old Testament writings. Look at the next passage here. And that repentance, are you talking about repentance of sin? Yes, repentance for forgiveness of sins was proclaimed, is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. That's, that's in the book. Beginning at Jerusalem, and then he says these words of encouragement. You are witnesses of these things, and look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you're empowered from on high. And we know that was leading up to the day of Pentecost, where they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They started preaching. But they weren't preaching John 3, 16. It hadn't been written yet. They were preaching the old scriptures and showing how, watch this, watch this, watch this, that the old covenant was more than just do's and don'ts and commandments and laws. It was actually a type and shadow, not only to govern their life and their nation, but to point them to a coming Messiah. And now we have the New Testament where these believers would then be led by the Holy Spirit to write down that we're in a new covenant, which Jesus announced when he did the communion element at the Last Supper, his body and his blood, the new covenant of grace. But Jesus didn't do without do out the old law. He fulfilled it. And what am I saying here? I'm saying when you open up this book, the collection of Old Testament and New Testament writings, this is what we call together the Bible. The collection is the Bible. It is inspired from beginning to end, and it all points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. If you can read the Bible and not find Jesus, you need to go back and reread the Bible. It all points to Jesus and to what he did for us. He did all the work. He's the one who died on the cross and rose again to give us eternal life. How I many thank God he gave us his word? And what he did to that day to disciples is he opened their minds. That's my prayer for you this year. It's my prayer for myself that as we discipline ourselves to get into the word, what we're going to learn is it's all about him. And he's going to prepare us to go live for him and to glorify him with our lives. And you know, uh, uh, I made this joke earlier and I think somebody took it serious. I don't know. Because I don't think it was said about me. It was said before I was ever born. But someone all the time said this. We know the Bible is the word of God because it's withstood so much shoddy preaching. Now, I hope they weren't thinking that was about me. But anyway, 
Even when I'm preaching, you need to go back to the word of God and make sure that what I taught you was the truth of scripture. Don't just take my word for it. Go back, make sure we're studying scripture together, right? Amen? So watch this. <clears throat> the Bible's always had its critics. It's always been misaligned. It's always been rebuked and, and, and despised and dejected, but it's still the best-selling book in the world today. It's been produced and translated in more languages than any other book. And the amazing thing about the Bible is you get into the book, it was written over a 1500 year time period, 40 different authors, three different languages on three different countries. And yet it's seamless and it's as relevant today as it was when it was written for the original audiences. There's no other book like it. No human being could ever devise this. It is a living true word and the spirit of God makes it come alive once we get in it. And if we're going to grow and live the life that God wants us to live, we've got to get in it. I think, this, I think sometimes things like this is funny. I believe God has a sense of humor. How many believe God's got a sense of humor? Good, good. In the 17th century, there was a French philosopher who was very intelligent and a great writer. His name was Voltaire. But Voltaire made a terrible mistake one day. He was a very outspoken atheist. He wrote a lot against Christianity. And uh, he made a, a terrible mistake. How many of you have ever said something you wish you hadn't have said after you said it because it came back to haunt you? Voltaire said this one day. Voltaire said, in 100 years, there will not be a Bible anymore. The Bible will be a forgotten book because they were in the age of enlightenment. But everybody was being enlightened. We didn't need the Bible anymore. <laughs> so I just think God was like, oh, is that right? Okay, let's see. <laughs> Voltaire died. Watch this, watch this. You can't make this up. The French Bible Society purchased Voltaire's house and for the next 100 years distributed the Bible out of the house of the man who said the Bible won't exist in 100 years. Come on, somebody. You got to know God's up there going, yeah, I got this. I'm not worried. Amen? So cool. What would happen if you and I truly this year get devoted to the word? And I'm not talking about like you got to spend an hour a day in this. What if you gave God 15 minutes a day? Do you know that the statistics say we, we spend about three and a half hours a day on social media, scrolling social media? What if we put our phone down for 15 minutes of that and got into the Bible? Can I tell you what would happen? You would read the Bible through cover to cover in one year if you read 15 minutes a day every day. If you, if you took 30 minutes and didn't watch one show, which one 30-minute show, you would read the Bible through twice in one whole year, 30 minutes a day reading the Bible. And listen, I'm never going to be that pastor unless God tells me to for a certain reason in a sermon or something, but I'm generally not going to be that guy that says, I want you reading the Bible through in a year because I really don't care how quickly you read through it. I care more about you knowing what you're reading when you read it. I want you to study it. I want you to memorize it. I want you to meditate on it. I want you to get it down in your heart. I'm not worried about you getting through in a year. I want you in the book and learning. And, and when you come back, I want you to know what you read. Amen? But I'm just giving you an illustration. 15 minutes a day, you can have the whole Bible read, read in a year. How amazing is this? 15 minutes a day could be amazing in our lives. Amen? But here's what I want to do just for a minute. It won't take me long to do this. I just, I just, want, to I just want to encourage you through Scripture. How devotion to scripture will transform your life. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. 
Here's what you're gonna learn if you, get, if, you, if you devote yourself this year to really diving into scriptures. Come on online campus, lean in. Write this down. You will produce what you plant. The interesting thing about the Bible is uh, it actually speaks about itself and uses symbols to do so. Remember in the Jewish mindset, they learned more through imagery than they did through just systematic theology, right? I mean, or systematic processes. They're, they learn through imagery. So one of the things the Bible says about itself is it's like a seed. In Mark chapter four, this was actually the first sermon I ever preached as an 18-year-old kid in Kentucky. Uh, I preached out of this passage, Mark chapter four. Jesus is talking to a group of farmers and he says, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And he goes on to explain the path. He says, some wasn't very good ground. Some was rocky, some was thorny, and some was really good ground. Same seed, different soil types. And then he talked about how the wayside didn't produce and the rocky and the thorny produced a little, but it never lasted. Only the ones in the good ground did it produce some fruit. Verse 13, the disciples came to him and said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? They weren't farmers, right? So what are you talking about? Verse 13, Jesus says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Watch this, watch this. The sower sows the word. So in that moment, he was saying, I'm talking to a bunch of farmers. And so I'm talking about the word of God, but I'm going to talk about like seed. What do you think the ground represented? The heart of the person who receives the word of God. And every one of you, even while I'm preaching this morning, you're choosing, watching online, you're choosing how to receive what we're talking about today. Are you interested in it? Are you already thinking about lunch? Some of you are planning your Super Bowl party that you still hadn't invited me to yet. I don't know, where, where's your mind? Where are you at? You get to decide. It's the same seed. The same seed for me is the same seed for you. But how it produces in our lives is up to us. What kind of soil are you in your heart? And that's a good challenge that Jesus was making. But remember, he was a master communicator. And what Jesus would do is he'd take timeless truths and preach it to an audience in something that they could understand. And that's what he's doing here. So when you read the Bible, you need to understand what he's doing here. He's trying to teach us in ways that we can understand. And what he wants you to know is, is that if you put the word of God in you, it's gonna to begin to work inside your life and you're eventually gonna start producing the type of character and the type of heart. You're gonna see the world through the eyes of Jesus. You're gonna be convicted of things you never were convicted of before. You're gonna love people in a different way than you've loved them in the past. And all of a sudden, the more words you put inside of you, you will start seeing some changes happening. You produce what you plant. Peter wrote it like this. He said that uh, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. How many of you ever needed a word from the Lord and a Bible verse popped up off the page or was given to you or something and it just absolutely spoke to you in that moment and you're like, that's what I needed. You ever had that happen? How about our online campus? You ever had that happen? How that, how's that? It's the living word. That's why it's so relevant even today. It's alive. And the Holy Spirit takes that word and he makes it come alive. That's why we need to be in the book. The Holy Spirit will make it come alive. Number two, you experience healing and victory. Here's another type and shadow, another imagery in the Bible about the scriptures. Uh, in one hand, it's a surgeon's scalpel. And in the other hand, it's a sword to defend with. 
Look, first of all, at Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says this, for the word of God is living, shout it's alive, and it's effective and it's sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that the word of God is like a scalpel in the hand of a master surgeon. The more you get into the word of God, there are moments when just like a surgeon, you go to a surgeon because you've got a cyst or a pocket of infection or a tumor and you need them to take it out. They've got a, you want a surgeon who's very focused, very dedicated with a solid hand, right? You want them to not, not damage anything else while they're in there, only be able to cut away what needs to be cut away. You want them very precisely to go and get what the problem is, get it out, why? So that you can recover and get back to health. And sometimes when you dive into the word this year, I'm just gonna tell you up front, if you take the challenge and you dive into scripture this year and you get devoted to the word, there's gonna be moments the Holy Spirit, like a surgeon, is gonna begin cutting in an area of your life and it won't always be pleasing in the moment. But you gotta remember, it's always for your good, never for your bad. The Holy Spirit, when he convicts us of something or he corrects something in our life, he's cutting something out of us that shouldn't be there, a wound, a hurt, an unforgiveness. He begins to cut it away, a bad theology. He begins to cut it away and it may hurt in the moment. Here's what you need to remember. The surgeon, the great physician, Jesus, is after good health for you. He's not trying to hurt you. There is no condemnation. In fact, in fact, in fact, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Jesus in John chapter three in the Bible said these words, I did not come to condemn you, but I come to give you life, eternal life. Jesus convicts. He identifies and he cuts things away in our lives so that we become better. It's always for our good. It's always for health. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Satan condemns. Jesus never condemns. So when you go to the scripture, when you're under conviction about an area, when you hear that other voice, you know the voice, the voice that says, you're never gonna get this right. The voice that says, you'll never get over this. That hurt will never go away. You're never gonna be able to forgive them. The voice that says, you're too dirty, you're too sinful, you've com uh, committed that same sin 1,400 times, it's time for you to stop asking for forgiveness, he's tired of hearing it. The voice that says, you're not enough, look at me, is not from the Holy Spirit. That is from the devil. The devil condemns, Jesus convicts. Jesus wants to restore and to heal. The devil wants to tear you down. So watch this. The same word that is a scalpel to bring healing and is also the sword that can bring you victory. So when, let me give you an illustration. When the devil says you're not enough. When the devil says you'll never get victory over that sin, you'll never get healed over that hurt, you'll never get past that problem, then if you've memorized scripture, you can stand not in your emotions. Are you with me? Shout, I'm with you. 
How about online campus? Don't leave me yet. This is important. When you get into the word, then instead of fighting with your emotions, here's what you do. You start quoting the scriptures and you go, Romans 8, 37 says, I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. I may not feel like it right now. I may feel like I'm defeated, but you don't go by your feelings. You go by the word of the Lord, but I am more than a conqueror. You go to Romans 8, 31 and you say, if he be for me, who can be against me? Amen. Are you with me? You go to 1 John chapter four and you say, greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. Devil, you can't defeat me. Greater is the Holy Spirit in me than is in you. When you've sinned and the devil says, you can never be forgiven. God's tired of hearing you pray. God's tired of you asking for forgiveness of the same old mistake over and over and over again. Then you stand on 1 John 1, 9 that says, if I confess my fault unto the Lord, he is faithful and he will forgive me. And the same word that is a scalpel to heal is a sword to bring you victory. But you gotta get the word in you for that to happen, amen? Number three, here's what it will do for you. You will grow spiritually if you get into the word because it is food for the soul. It is food for the soul. Jeremiah 15, 16 says this, your words were found and I ate them. I love that. Here's this old prophet, and he says to the Lord, every time, Lord, I get a word from you, I just eat it up. Somebody went around here saying stuff like that. We'd look at them and laugh. We'd be like, yeah, brother, I love you, but man, that's a little crazy. I just eat the word up. <laughs> My first church I was pastoring, there was this old guy. He'd get up in testimony service. There's a reason we don't do that here. He'd get up in testimony service. <laughs> he'd get up in testimony service. <laughs> And, and he'd tell everybody, and, and he had a little belly, and he'd say, I don't even have to eat food. I don't have to eat no food because when I get into the word of God, it's like eating a T-bone steak, and I only need food. I don't even need food anymore. And I'm like, brother, you better read more word. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to move on. That's, that's bad. All right, here we go. Second Timothy 3.16 says this. The word of the Lord is inspired. It's good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and instruction in ways of righteousness. How many want to live for the Lord? Live out the plans of God, the purposes for God. Then friend, I want to encourage you this year, let's get devoted to the word. It'll feed your soul. It'll give you victory against the devil. It'll convict and bring healing in your soul. And listen to me, listen to me. You will produce a life that glorifies the Lord. All straight from the word of God. You know, in Matthew 4, Jesus said, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Question, who was Jesus talking to when he quoted that verse? The devil. When Jesus was being tempted by the devil, watch this, watch this, watch this. The author of the book quoted from the book when he was fighting in spiritual warfare. Friend, I'm telling you, there's power in the scriptures because they're anointed of the Holy Spirit. Here's my prayer for us this year. First Peter 2.2, 2, 
My prayer is this, like newborn infants, Peter wrote it, like newborn infants, let's desire the pure milk of the word that we may grow thereby so that we can grow in our walk, so we can be who God has called us to be. And, and we need to desire the word. We've got to be devoted to the word. And if we do, watch this. You remember my illustration at the beginning, how the mirrors reflect the sunlight and Jesus said uh, that the Holy Spirit will take the truth and make it known to us? That's illumination. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in your life and mine this year. Take the word of God and make it come alive. Give us those aha moments so that we can produce and we can heal and we can have victory so that we can grow in our walk with the Lord. John 14, verse 26, here's what Jesus said. Jesus says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. This is before Pentecost. He's talking to his disciples. It's the night Judas is selling him for 30 pieces of silver. He says, when I send you the Holy Spirit, watch this. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. What did Jesus say the Holy Spirit will do for us? Somebody shout, he'll teach me. But did you catch the last part? How will he teach us? By reminding us what he has said. The reason I want to ask you to go on this journey with me this year and let's all together become more disciplined in the scriptures is because, listen, I, I want God to do something beautiful in your life. I want you to know the Lord and his power and his victory and his healing. I don't know any of us who won't, don't want the fruits of the spirit working in our lives, you know, joy, love, goodness, gentleness, kindness, meekness, self-control. Don't we all want to live that way? It's from the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What's the fruit used? The word. Here's why we got to get into the book. Because unless you get the word inside of you, the Holy Spirit can't teach you the word. He said, I'll bring it back to your remembrance, meaning it's already in there. If you don't ever put it in there, he can't teach it to you. You know, last year our theme was hearing the voice of God and all these people was like, I wanna hear the voice of the Lord. I wanna hear the voice of the Lord. And we're waiting for an audible voice to speak to an audible ear. You search throughout Christian church history, that's only ever occurred on very few occasions, okay? Come on, somebody. It's not how it normally works. Why? And it shouldn't be. That's not how the Lord should have to speak to us. You know why? He's not on the outside looking at us. When you become a Christian and you ask God to come in your heart and forgive your sin, where does the Holy Spirit move? He doesn't move beside you. He moves in you. So now when the Holy Spirit speaks, and listen to me, he is speaking. He's speaking today. And when he speaks, he doesn't speak on the outside. He speaks directly from the inside up to your heart and up to your mind. And he takes the scriptures and he makes them come alive and he convinces and he challenges and he teaches and he trains and he guides us. He's speaking. We just got to start listening because he's speaking to us through the word and he'll bring scriptures back to our mind and he's impressing us and he's guiding us. How many of you have had a sense at some point in your Christian journey that the Lord just spoke to you? Not from an audible voice, but it came down deep inside. You had that experience? That's the Holy Spirit, amen? That's the Holy Spirit. Here's what I know, here's your big takeaway. A life 
devoted to the scriptures will be blessed along the journey. I don't know what your faith run's gonna look like, your marathon, you don't know what mine's gonna look like, only God does. Here's what I do know. Our marathon doesn't mean that we're blessed if we get into the word where we have no problems. There's a lot of heretics out on the internet. You need to know, you need the Holy Spirit. First, uh, yeah, John tells you, first John tells you that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will actually teach you what the truth is. So when you're listening to false preaching, false teaching, they may be charismatic, they may sound good, but the Holy Spirit won't let it settle inside your heart if you've got the word in there. The Holy Spirit will say, that don't line up with what I've already told you, does it? And some of these guys out there, they're telling you, man, if you just live for the Lord, if you just quote enough Bible verses, you won't get sick, you won't have problems. Listen, I'm telling you, it rains on the just and the unjust. There are mountain peaks and there's valleys in everybody's life. But you know how a blessed life looks? A blessed life means whether I'm on a mountain or down in a valley, the Holy Spirit of God is taking the word of God and he's illuminating my mind and he's guiding my path and he's leading me on a path of righteousness for his name's sake. Amen? Let me leave you with this verse and I'm gonna get you out of here. James chapter one, verse 23 says it like this. Because of, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. He looks at himself and he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. That's not what God wants for you. That's not what I want for you. That's not what I want for me. I don't want to go into the scriptures, read it, say, hi, I read it, and walk away and don't remember a thing in the world about it and it doesn't do anything to help me. Don't be that. Look at verse 25. But the one who looks intently, and everybody shout intently. That means devotion, devoutly. Who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it. He's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Read the last line with me, ready? Come on. This person will be blessed in all he does. Amen? You wanna be blessed? I wanna be blessed. Mountain peaks or valleys, it's in the word, amen?